All right, amen. Hey, thank you, worship team, tech team. Let's give them a round of applause, right? They do a great job week in, week out. So thank you. So today, welcome, welcome everyone this morning. So go back six to eight weeks ago, right? I don't know how many of you made the same mistake I did of buying a toy for your kid, grandkid, or in my case, niece or nephew, maybe a friend of the family's that came and had those dreaded words, some assembly required, right? Or worse yet, you bought something from Ikea, right? And you had to put it together and you got the little wrench to put a whole bedroom set together, right? So I did, my two-year-old nephew, Jeter, he wanted a John Deere tractor puzzle. And it had this little drill you could change out and do things, right? He's two years old. Uh, That drill became very annoying by the end of the day, by the way. And he wanted a Hot Wheels track. So I don't know if you guys did what I did, like any good Enneagram 8 would do, and said, well, this can't be that hard. I don't need to read the instructions. I'm just going to put this together. So... As I went through this with a two-year-old standing in my face, trying to be patient, you put this together, you know, not using instructions, and you get done, and there's two parts left, and you have to tell them, as they're anticipating, wanting to play with this, uh uh-oh. You get out the instructions, and you find out in step three of 26, you forgot something, so you have to kind of start over. Well, that's the picture I want us to have this morning. As we shift our, from our, in our flourishing series from our focus on our relationship with God to our relationship with others over the next several weeks. And today we move into that uh, healthy sexuality. And if I can have, I think it's slide three, Preston. So today we're going to move into marriage, right? Much assembly required, right? So as like those toys at Christmas... Those of us that have chosen or will choose into marriage may have jumped into marriage with a fairy tale expectation. And if you're like me, you didn't take time to read the instructions. Can't be that hard, right? However, we quickly get into trouble, at least I did. And just to share one little story as we get started this morning, in my family of origin, growing up on a farm, as we went into things and, you know, working out there, and if you brought the wrong wrench, there was like, no, I said the crescent wrench. And you come back out and then you continue talking about your week. A raised voice didn't mean anything. In my wife's family, if her dad raised her voice, you were in trouble. As you can imagine, as we started our life together, that first year of marriage was very interesting. When I raised my voice on any little thing and then tried to talk about, you know, like, hey, no, I said do this. And then it's like, so how was your week? That didn't comprehend. There, there was many times where my wife was, went off into a room and for, you know, like a day, I'm just like, well, okay, I guess you need some quiet time. You know, I didn't realize I had done anything wrong, um, but I had. So many of my stumbles, many of my problems as I went into marriage, come back to I didn't take time to read the instructions. So that's what we're going to unpack, because marriage comes with much assembly required, necessitates care and faithfulness, forgiveness over a lifetime. The marriage day is not a fairy tale happy ending, but the first day in a beautiful but sometimes challenging journey of broken individuals coming together. Uh, But before we start, I really want to go back to what Tom and Kathy said over the last couple weeks, because that's foundational in all relationships. 
As Tom mentioned, there is no healthy relationship that isn't rooted in the love of God. We have to have that right. That's why we started there. We have to have that relationship right. Whether we're single, whether we're married, we have to have that right. If we don't have our identity in God first, nothing else matters. And then God's essence is love. And as Kathy unpacked last week, all relationships flow from love. And only from there can God show you and me, as the verse we read last week for those that were with us, the most excellent way. So that's why we started there. That is our bridge to these next few weeks as we move into relationships. But we have to have that relationship with God right. So as we move into this this morning, as we start to unpack this, we'll use two key scripture verses. So you can make your way and get Bibles if you have them or your devices. We'll get into those. We're going to have a passage in Genesis 2, and we're going to have a passage in Ephesians 5 that we'll really focus as we go through here. But Preston, if I can have slide four. So as we get into this, this summer, my wife, Michelle, and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage, right? I, it's... it's yeah, it is crazy to think about that, right? Especially uh, when I think about myself, that someone has put up with me that long, right? Those that know me, right? There's many of you in this room. I can be a jack wagon, right? <laughs> Those of you that know me. Bruce, you're shaking your head a little too much there. So, okay, <laughs> didn't need to agree that quickly. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, it is amazing. So as we unpack the story this morning, I'm going to use stories, you know, a few stories from our marriage. I'm not saying that's everybody's marriage. That's not how marriage should be. But I want to be transparent to, to talk about some of our journey together. And the first thing we need to, as we understand marriage and what God says about marriage, I think we have to have the right definition. Several of you I see in here came in October when I talked about how Christians should vote. And in that point, I said, you know, we ask the wrong question. We say, who should we vote for? When the right question is, how does the Bible say we should vote? Similarly, in all things, I think society has it wrong as we go into, we're saying, who could be married? Or can these people marry? All those kinds of things. When the right question is, what does God say marriage is? So that's the first thing. And some of you have heard some of this. If you came to the conference we had a couple weeks ago with Preston Sprinkle, I've been studying his stuff for many years because of some uh, circumstances in our family and just understanding uh, him. And I would encourage you to go to his website for more detail on this, which was just a small part of, of the whole conference. But I think it, it's really important for us to understand as we get into this. So for those of you that have your Bibles or devices, those of you at home, uh, let's start in Genesis 2. I'll let you give a little time to flip to, that, flip to this. Genesis 2, 19 through 24. Genesis 2, 19 through 24. So here's what God says. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was what its name was. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. 
The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of me. This is key. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. See, this is the primary foundational passage on the basic ingredients of marriage. After surveying all the animals, all the creatures, no suitable helper was found, and God creates Eve for Adam. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. If I can have the next slide, slide five. See, this, this is a key statement, and how we fill in this blank really creates and helps us understand what our view of marriage is. Eve is equal to Adam since she is human, but different from Adam since she is See, Eve is female, and throughout Scripture, here, and how God says it, how Jesus says it in Matthew, define marriage as a union between two sexually different persons. And the connection in verse 24, as we read, this is why. In the ESV translation, it says, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This links sex difference and equality to the Bible's primary foundational statements about marriage. We have to start there. Another key verse, I won't have you flip to it, you know, in Genesis 1, in the, in the, in the uh, creation story, just a couple verses there, God created mankind in his own image, male and female, he created them. And he said, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. See, God created us in his own image. The word that's used in Genesis 1 for God is Elohim. It's plural, right? We've been talking about these these first few weeks, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit together forever in a relationship, the circle dance, right, that we're asked to join into. There was an intimate relationship. And whether we're single, whether we're married, God says it is good, and we need intimacy. Others we can go deep with. You know, that's part of God's design for marriage, but I want to be very clear this morning that it's not just those of us who are married. We all need intimacy, celibate singleness, and those of us that get married. So one part of God's design, even though I'm married, my wife and I have really great intimate friendships, right? I see some people here this morning that I've known 20, 30 years that we have went deep with, other guys, right? They know everything about me. We talk, we've, had, we've went through a lot of journeys, the roller coaster of life. We need that. My wife has many friends that she's had for 30, 40 years, that they still meet together and they go deep together. They have an intimate friendship. Even my, my daughter, I don't have permission to share, but last night some friends were going through some hard things. They all came over to our house. They have, she's been blessed with some intimate friendships. We need that. And I think, I, I just want to push into this, and this is especially for young people. You can decide if you're young or not. Um, but, but I think the world confuses this. As I read and as I study and as I've listened to counselors, I think this is part of some of the confusion we have in the world. 
Because as we go through life, we are all attracted to others. Others of the same sex and others of the opposite sex. I'm attracted to my friends, right? They have things that draw me close. I have an agape love for them. You see, I think that's part of the reason we have this confusion is we use love in the English language. It's this broad term, right? I love my toys. I love my dog. I love my brother. You know, I love spaghetti. I love my wife. We make love. It, we use love in this broad, broad context where in the Greek, there was many words for love, agape being one, right? To will the good of another. There's Philadelphia love right? Brotherly love. That's what we're talking about as we have intimate relationships and good friendships. But the world pushes us into this because we don't have another word for romantic love like eros, which is, is romantic sexual love. See, we're designed for agape. We're designed for Philadelphia love, brother, sister's love, to develop good relationships with people of both sexes because we, we see them we see their gentleness, their faithfulness, their kindness, the fruits of the Spirit. We're attracted to them. That's okay. But society wants to confuse that with eros, sexual love. And see, marriage is just another place for that intimacy which God has designed. Marriage illustrates this, and it's an integral part. So now as we continue to unpack Marriage. I want to go to a slide, the puzzle piece slide, if I could. So this is kind of a map of where we've been just starting and where we're going. There's a lot to unpack in marriage. We're not going to get to everything this morning. We usually always have classes throughout uh, our different seasons. We have a class this semester on marriage. I would encourage you to go deeper in those things. Michelle and I have taken classes over the years. They're good. They go deeper. But so far, we've talked about God created marriage. He defined marriage. He designed it for intimacy, and it was very good. But what else? What else does God say? One of the things that one of the next puzzle pieces is a, it's a commitment. It's a covenant, right? There's an exchange of promises that happen when we go into marriage. We promise to be united for a lifelong loving relationship with each other. Sadly, many don't take that seriously anymore. Now, I, I unpacked this. If you were here this in October, I had, a, I had a sermon on lust and divorce. So I unpacked that. We won't, you can go back and watch some of that. Remember, God's essence is love. No matter what brokenness we come with or have in our life, God is waiting to forgive us. And there are reasons, abuse and non-believer and adultery, things I unpacked in that sermon for divorce that God says. That's not what I'm talking about. Marriage is, what I'm talking about here is, is many leave because they're unhappy. They think it's going to be a fairy tale from beginning to end. And it's just not. To walk in marriage is to walk a lifetime together in a covenant with a lot of forgiveness, with a lot of mercy, with a lot of grace. The next puzzle piece, I think, and this one we're going to rest on a little bit because I think it's really important, is this commitment requires a sacrifice or submission. 
And I did not read that part very well at all <laughs> before I got married. I don't know about any of you that are married. Selfishness will kill a marriage. We must be other-centered in a me-centered world. I'm going to say that again. We must be other-centered in a me-centered world. That is very, very hard. So our next scripture passage that we'll go to is Ephesians 5, 21 through 28. If you want to flip to that. It says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the Lord is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to her himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I've heard that before. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you, each of you, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I know there's a lot of people this day and age don't like these verses, right? And I'm going to, a little aside, I don't do the umbrella of mercy thing. DarrenWTRCPella.com. I'm an eight. I just say it. Um, Frankly, I'm tired of people in a lot of ways of resting on a word and getting all mad about somebody using a word, whatever that word is. I'd use examples, but I know some of you would be upset because I said the word. This is one of those words. We have to look at the context. We have to look at what God meant by the word as we unpack what submission means. And I want to use some words from the message. So it's a paraphrase, right? It's not a direct translation of the Bible, but I think it can give us a picture of this, because I've used this passage in several of the weddings that I've officiated, and I think this is helpful. Here's some of those verses out of the message. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. See, that's what submission is. Being courteous, supporting, loving, giving. Too often in today's society, we, we, we confuse submission with being weak. But that's not at all what the Bible says. Not at all. You see, Christ always submitted to the will of his Father in a loving relationships. It is not a way in which we make people do our will. That is absolutely wrong. But rather a voluntary, mutual submission, putting each other first. 
And it isn't easy, at least for sinful, stubborn people like myself. <laughs> at least I'll put that in myself in that category. We want to control things, right? Love requires a lot of work. Much assembly is required. And after almost 25 years of marriage, I would tell you that it's a choice each and every day to love. If I can have, I think it's slide seven, please. There are days when I know Michelle chooses to love me, even though she doesn't like me very much. Right? That happens. And if I'm honest with myself, there's days that at the end of the day, when I reflect on my day, I don't like myself very much and some of the things I said or did. So what this means, you can go to a blank screen. So what this means, husbands and future husbands, we must love our wives just as Christ loved the church. That is his plan. It's not easy. Christ died for us, his church. The implications of those verses, of the statements, is that we will not neglect our wives, we will not insist on our own way, and we would be willing to die for her. That's how serious marriage is. We are to take care of our wives as we do our own body with tenderness and care. There is no room, no room for a lack of appreciation and love. And wives and future wives, similarly, we submit to your husbands. And again, this is a mutual submission. They should be doing those things we just talked about. They should be treating you with tenderness. And if that's the case, out of love, like the church has for Christ, your role is to love and respect your husband. Work to complete him. Michelle completes me in many ways. I've shared this with staff. She's my social media filter, right? That's why I don't post a lot of things. Like she'll read it and say, nope, you're not posting that. <laughs> so luckily I have her. She completes me in that way. That's one of many ways. See, marriage is a place where there is this mutual submission where the husband and wife are not saying, what's in it for me? But what's in it for my spouse? This is an agape love to will and do the good of another that leads to, in the context of marriage as God defines it, eros, sexual love. So we can go back to slide six, please. So continue. The other thing in marriage is it gives us, you can see the red puzzle piece, is a glimpse of our relationship with God. Now, all friendships do that, any of our intimate friendships, but especially in marriage, where God is our center, if, if we're doing it right, as we talked about at the beginning, we should have God first, even in our marriage, but then our spouse can give us a picture. I know Michelle does that for me. When Michelle forgives me and accepts me, I learn to receive God's forgiveness and acceptance. In that moment, she is modeling God to me revealing God's mercy to me, helping me to see with my own eyes a very spiritual reality. And through all these circumstances, I hope we can see that God made marriage and it was very good. But there's much assembly required. It's a choice each and every day. And, and some days we must choose this even in the midst of not liking each other very much and working to repair that relationship some other practical things on the far right, those puzzle pieces. You know, can you appreciate your spouse this week? 
Can you take that little time? I'm just going to model one example over the last couple of weeks, right? I know that Michelle has jumped back into teaching after um, leaving uh, her job that she last had. She's jumped back into teaching in a long-term sub. It's been very stressful as she takes over a classroom again. I came home one night after a busy, busy day, and she had made supper, right? So it's simple words. It's like, Michelle, I appreciate. I know you, you're having a hard time. You've got a lot you're doing. But to come home and have supper ready... And to be able to just sit down and take time to eat together, I appreciate that. That's all it takes. It's not hard. Can you focus on your spouse's strengths instead of their weaknesses? Encourage versus criticize. And sometimes it's just how we frame it. It doesn't mean we don't have hard conversations. But how we come to have those conversations and how we word those conversations matter. Right? Asking clarification. Say, hey, why? Well, you know, I see these, you know, dishes aren't done. What, what could I do to help with that? What's going on? Right? We can use this with our kids too, by the way. <laughs> pray for your spouse. Pray for it individually with your spouse. Pray together with your spouse. That's important. Ask for forgiveness. If you're like me, that's probably every day <laughs> for something I did. It's a journey. So if I can have the, I think it's slide eight, please. It'll be eight and nine. So worship team, you can start to come back up. So in summary, as we go through this, right, we, we need to be in God's instructions. We've got to read the instructions. Start with your Bible. Know God's intentions for marriage and relationships. We have to submit we have to move from this me-centeredness to other-centered as we go through life. We need to invest in our marriages. Go on dates, right? Share your hopes, share your dreams, and those continue to change throughout a lifetime. There's going to be adjustments as we go through this, right? Michelle and I have had a ton of adjustments already in our lifetime, right? When we got married, when we started to learn our family of origin, you learn about crazy Uncle Joe or whatever it may be, right? And then, you know, some people, as we did, we, you know, not all marriages will have this. We had kids. That created another set of adjustments we had to get to. Now we have kids starting to leave the house. Now we have to see if we really like each other again as we spend more time, just the two of us, right? There's adjustments. Our parents are aging. And as Many of you know, we've, I've talked about this before. It was 10 years ago, a couple weeks ago, that my father-in-law had a stroke and went in the nursing home. That was an adjustment, right? Our own bodies are changing. There's adjustments, right? I'm not 160 pounds anymore, right? Let's just be real. And there'll be continued adjustments as we go through our life. But we have to remember that God, God is good. I think it's slide nine, Preston. So then we adjust as we go through that. We seek help when you need it, right? It's like an oil, it's like your car, right? My car's running fine, but I have to take it in for maintenance every so often, even if it's running fine. Michelle and I have had counseling many times, right? I think we have this negativity about counseling we shouldn't have. Sometimes we just need a little checkup. That's okay. That's good. That's healthy. And then we repeat, because much assembly is required. 
And this is a journey throughout our lifetimes. That is what married people, including myself, need to keep in mind as God's instructions. But we need the support of everyone, right? Everyone here this morning to do this. We are a community of faith. You know, Kathy alluded to this last week. Married and single folks, we need to come along beside each other in our journey so we can all flourish in our relationships. We need help with each other. We need pray for each other. We need help making date nights possible. I remember especially when we had young kids and we were living in Ohio with no relatives around. We had some good friends and some single friends that would watch our kids so we could go on a date night. That's part of being a healthy community together. See, it's a story of faithfulness throughout a lifetime. It's not just a simple fairy tale. And I, for one, see Michelle very differently 25 years into it right? Yes, I was swept off my feet by a little Dutch girl in a sundress singing at a worship service. But I can truly tell you through a bunch of assembly, prayer, encouragement, deaths, marriages, two kids, illness, bites, makeup sessions, I love her more now than I did 25 years ago. And I hope that can be true for those that, have cho- that choose or have chosen into marriage. But it takes a lot because much assembly is required, yielding to God and each other, investing in the instructions along the way.